This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Brian Murray. Hello. And Kate Scotchless. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm unbelievably excited for this week's episode because we're talking about something that I love, and it's the greatest thing in the universe in comic books. But before we get to all that... What do I usually say? Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been good. I've been busy. I moved last weekend, so this week has been a lot of unpacking and then a family wedding, which was, I have to say, super inconsiderate, getting married on the most sacred of national holidays, Free Comic Book Day. Oh, so, rude. Yeah, and my friends had a freaking taco party for Cinco de Mayo as well, so I missed my favorite food, tacos, and free comics. They were really good tacos too, Kate. I, yeah, don't <laughs> rub it in. So, well, Kate, I, I, I didn't realize you and I had this in common. Tacos are my favorite food too. Oh my goodness. I, they're the best thing ever. And so, yeah, she better appreciate it. But it was a nice wedding. And it was a quick wedding, which makes it an even better wedding. You've got to appreciate that. Right? Um, it was on a roof, so it could have been real bad if they decided, like with no shade, if they had decided not to make it snappy. <laughs> well, at least if it goes too long, it can always jump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian, Jesus, that was Brian. dark. Too dark? Too much? Okay. <laughs> Kate, how are you? Are you okay? <laughs> I think we should talk to Brian. Yeah. No, so with all my stuff packed up, I've been reading a bunch of comics on my phone. And I have like a huge backlog of comicsology books that I paid money for. And therefore, I've been reading nothing but webtoons, which are free because logic. And right, so right. I read all of Lunar Baboon, uh, which is a series by a creator who goes by Lunar Baboon. And I haven't found a name for him. He's a Canadian cartoonist. Mm-hmm. And related, it's a, a slice of life webcomic about living with anxiety, depression, and OCD. And is very like all about how mental illness sucks, but you can still live a good life and kind of like sweet and relatable. And Brian told me about it. It's oh, very good. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it is really good. Webtoons really blow my mind with the like range of stuff and how popular they can be, even in the United States. I'll yeah. we'll have to get the links to these and I'll put them in the show notes. If you haven't read a Webtoons comic or Tapas or I think there's another company out there, you really should give it a try. And Kate's got great suggestions, I know, from experience. Well, yeah, and part of it is a lot of the web comics I followed on their own pages forever have now made their way to webtoons where they can monetize it more easily. And so, right. like, Trash Bird is on there and Sarah Scribbles is on there. Like, all these things that I was, like, going to page by page to or, like, following right. their Facebook page where they were posting their daily one. But anyway, um, the thing that I read the most of, I think, was um, I'm making my way now through Elf and Warrior which is by A.C. Stewart and Victor Rosas II. And it's like D&D meets Squirrel Girl meets Dr. Aphra. And it's so much fun about a young and optimistic elf and his uh, hardened Uncle Hector, who's a reformed, air quotes, criminal. And uh, they run into a girl, Gilly, who wants Hector to teach her how to be a criminal and is very enthusiastic about it. Uh-huh. Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's very silly. I'm very happy that you told me about this comic because hey, I love it. it. I love it to death. Oh, I did. I, I think I'm like 20 or 30 chapters in or something. It's great. Oh my gosh. I think you're farther than me now. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Sorry. <laughs> my problem is I, I it's on my phone, so I lay in bed, and then it's, oh, it's yeah. so easy to read because you just like swipe up, swipe up, yep. swipe up. Oh, next chapter. Cool. Swipe up, swipe up, swipe up. Yeah, and the chapters are so short that just one more is just like lasts for like three hours. And you're like, just exactly. one more. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so everyone should read Webtoons. I, I really can't advocate for it enough. There, there's something for everybody out there, no matter what you're into. It's it's all kind of, it's all cartoony, like webcomic-y, and sometimes kind of manga-y, but on the whole, it's very, very good. What about you, Brian? How have you been? How have comic books been? All that. I've been good. I'm just trying to catch up with my life. I don't know. Gotcha. I started, a new, I started a, new, a new job uh, a couple weeks back, which is very exciting, but it does mean that I'm dead most of the days jeez <laughs> i wake up and work all day and then stay up until one or two in the morning anyways because oh i don't know i don't know why i mean I'm, hey i'm I do sure the same a doctor thing, does <laughs> i finally st- uh dug into my backlog of comics this morning so i checked out uh aliens dust to dust number one and the new i don't i don't know if it's Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes number one or Earth's Mightiest Heroes Avengers number one or just Avengers um, but it's a new Avengers number one that came out so I checked mm-hmm. that out mm-hmm. got some of my library books I read uh, Star Wars Kanan volume two which is cool it's giving me some more backstory on that wonderful trash man from Rebels mm-hmm. um, East of West volume five continues to be a real like weird gory sci-fi future western and then uh i picked up exiles number one while i was at the shop on friday uh that is saladin Ahmed, uh javier rodriguez alvaro lopez and jordi belair it's basically this magical space MacGuffin is teleporting blink through time and space to build up a team something that you find out at the end of the issue is the zombie head of Galactus, question mark, is consuming the multiverse. Blink has the team up with uh, Grimdark Miss Marvel and uh, Chippy Wolverine to <laughs> save all of reality. Yep. I don't know. It seems like it's going to be kind of goofy and fun, which is exactly what I want from a comic book. So I'm definitely going to pick up the next couple issues and see where it goes from there. I can safely say that... Having read the hundred plus issues of the previous Exile series, this feels in the same vein as that book, which was a whole hell of a lot of fun and really cool, just heart wrenching moments. Um, so I'm really excited to see how Achman is going to break our hearts with this book. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I'm concerned about is uh, the Chibi Wolverine. Oh yeah, because if it's anything like Spider Ham from the uh, the Spider Verse series, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be the worst part of this entire series. Yeah, but I say that because I'm a jaded, almost thirty year old with with no joy in his heart. So. <laughs> Take that for what it is, kids. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mike? What are you? What have you been up um, to? I've been I'm pretty good. I like my brain is slowly recovering from just weird a weird sleep schedule one i was in seattle where i was staying up until like three four in the morning seattle time which is like six seven a.m eastern standard time um so i feel like i finally got back into my rhythm of sleep but nonetheless i've been 
just working and feeling dead and been going out like every night, not like drinking or anything, but just like I've had events or something every day this past week. So I didn't have a lot of time to read things, but I sat down and read a couple of books like on Wednesday night. Um, I read All New Wolverine number 34, which I said was maybe the last issue of the series last week. This upcoming issue, All New Wolverine 35, is the last issue. I couldn't keep the numbers straight. Um, I read Killer Be Killed number 18, which um, is great. The surprise at the end of this book was that, oh, this is a limited series and it's ending very soon. So I'm excited to see how this book like wraps itself up. Um, I read Astonishing X-Men number 10. I read Snot Girl volume 1 um, for another for a book club that I'm in. I read Haikyuu volume 4. And the book I actually want to talk about is Coming to Me number 2. This is from Vault Comics, written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, with art by Peter Kowalski. And all I can say is, I think I talked about number one on the show before. Um, if you don't know what this book is, Coming to Me is a series about this like modern world where this new sort of system of understanding human thought has been developed where you connect two people's brains together and one person can literally go inside and exist inside of another person's like mindscape and you can understand their like memories and see things through their eyes um and the basic craziness at the end of the first issue which fucking floored me was that our, our main character who's like the creator of this system with another like technology focused person or whatever he basically does this mind meld with this woman and her body ends up dying while she's inside his head and so now she's stuck inside of his head and the the the, so the story keeps going in this this fucking crazy like insane speed of pacing to develop what like what's actually happening and all i can say like i don't want to spoil this past issue because everybody out there should go read this book like whoever greenlit this book at vault is a fucking genius like I, this issue and the first issue slapped me in the face just with their momentum and pacing and every single page turn it was if I wasn't reading it digitally I might have ripped the actual book with excitement because I was so like looking forward to what was coming next it's so well developed Peter Kowalski's art is unparalleled like I, I read his stuff before his characters kind of look samey in the same way like Sean Phillips's art looks samey but it does not harm the book in any way shape or form um this, this book is just breathtaking from beginning to end, and I honestly cannot recommend it enough. Like, if you need more proof that Vault Comics is kicking ass, this book absolutely proves it. Like, Maxwell's Demons, The Wilds, like, it's... Or, no, The Wilds isn't them. Um, but even still, like, it's it's unbelievable work, um, this coming to me number two. So I highly, highly recommend it. It sounds really cool. I can't... Uh, you, you guys, I honestly... This is like, go buy coming to me number one, and if you don't like it, I'll, this is my Mike Rappin money-back guarantee. If you don't like it, I will buy you another book or refund you the 399 or whatever it's so fucking good <laughs> but anyways that's that's me let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week comic books are going to be released on may 9th 2018 what are you both excited for brian let's start with you i had a hard time coming up with something for this week honestly um that's not to say that there's nothing this week that i'm looking forward to but it was hard to find something i was really excited for Okay. You know, generally that feeling of excitement comes when I've got either like a new number one I'm interested in trying out or, you know, obviously a new issue of Giant Days would always <laughs> set that off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for this week, I fell on uh, Runaways number nine because while I don't have the same excitement for that series my wonderful wife does, I do enjoy every single issue of it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, the new Runaways by Rainbow Rowell with art by Chris Anka. It's it's a very solid series. I don't really know what to say about it except that I have a good time reading it. So it is fulfilling the promise of a comic book. You know, I'm <laughs> I am being told a story and I am enjoying the process. Hey, you know what? That's that's fine. You know, because honestly, Runaways is such a a powerful book like it has like so many people are connected and love the characters of runaways that there were way too many chances to mess this up and i think rainbow rowell like she's nailed it right like she's continued this book true to the original series yeah i think that's definitely true and i think almost the the personalities of the characters are coming through even stronger than they used to oh yeah she's a pretty good writer (laughs) yeah really walking the line between you know, emphasizing and playing up different aspects of their personalities without mm-hmm. turning the whole thing into a big cartoony mess. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. Uh, Kate, what are you excited for this week? I'm excited for Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Volume 3, Family Reunion. This is um, the third volume, obviously, of the current Hawkeye run, and it collects issues 13 through 16, and then also the Generations um, Hawkeye and Hawkeye issue from that whole was that a crossover event? I don't even know. It was just like a series of one shots of, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So it, it has that in it too. So this is a series that I was reading in singles originally because I really like Kate Bishop. Uh, I read the first arc in singles and then decided that really I could trade weight it because I wasn't in love with it, but I didn't want to stop reading it. Right. Um, so I've been doing that. It's by Kelly Thompson and with art by Leonardo Romero. And so in this uh, volume, we now have Clint Barton's uh, Hawkeye coming back to help Kate out. And they're going to, you know, do their awesome buddy up stuff, which I'm excited for because that's my favorite version is the like the relationship between the two of them versus having either of them on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And then apparently that one shot is an intergenerational adventure, which is an (laughs) interesting uh, tagline to promote. So... I guess it's the younger version of Clint and they, something happens. I don't know. I don't know, guys. I'm like, you know, when you trade weight, it's hard to like say much about it because it's not the issue before that you've read or whatever. So Right, yeah. right. It's Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly think Kelly Thompson, fantastic writer. I'll just say that. I mean, she's, she's writing that. I really like her stuff. Mike, I really though, like her stuff. Okay, so do I sometimes, but in the first arc of this Hawkeye thing I I was so on board for several issues and then she okay. took the most cheaty way out of like this build-up you know the whole dramatic build-up in a, in a comic arc where you're trying to figure out this mystery because that's of course what uh, Hawkeye's always doing is trying to solve uh, what's going on and figure things out kind of Jessica Jonas but with more arrows and sure. <laughs> um, and so, like, it's a really cool mystery that was going, and I was really into it. And then she took, like, the the just dumbest, cheatiest way out, and I was so mad. And now every time people are like, I like Kelly Thompson, and I, like, instantly think of this. And I don't want to say what it was because I don't want to spoil it for people who okay. haven't read it yet. Okay. Because I, it is still worth reading, but I was just so peeved. And so now I'm like, I don't know, maybe Marvel made her do it because that would kind of make sense uh, with the timing and maybe they're trying to make it match up with other series or something and so it's not really her fault but I don't know okay 
I, well, she wrote my Rogue and Gambit book, and it's real good. Yeah. <laughs> are are you maybe a little biased, Michael? No. Abs- <laughs> hey, listen, listen. No bias. No bias is present here. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, for me this week, I'm moving on. For me this week. <laughs> yeah, Kate, we're done with you. <laughs> I'm very excited for Eternity Girl number three. This is Magdalene Visaggio and Sonny Liu. Um, the one thing, I mean, I don't want to sp- spoil what happened in the last two issues, so I won't really go into it. But honestly, this book, like, it was pitched as the only way for Eternity Girl to save herself is to destroy the universe. And I was like, hold on, ex- explain to me what that means. And the way that, uh, you know, Mags has gone into this book. Because uh, we're on first name, nickname basis, so I'm calling her Max. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, honestly, the the way that this book presents like sadness and depression and like like it, she, tur- she turns it into this this overwhelming feeling where Eternity Girl is struggling to literally exist. Like she she knows that if she wants to, she could just fade away into oblivion. But she knows that she needs to also keep it together because she's on this mission to destroy the universe. And so everything gets it's it's very, very surreal because it's 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 to the point of being almost like too real with the amount of like the emotions that are just thrown on the page for this book. I'm blown away by this story. I, I look forward I'm looking forward to this issue very much, given like the progression that happened from issue one to issue two. It's only going to get more insane. So give me more of this book. That's that's all I can say. Hey gang, Mike here. So we had plans for a big long episode all about the X-Men and we made a thread on Goodreads about it and it was amazing and we recorded it and then a computer exploded taking half our audio with it, metaphorically. I mean, we lost the second half of our show that actually happened. Long story short, instead of our main topic this week, which is all about the incarnations of the X-Men, we have for you instead a pre-recorded mini-sode starring Renee and Tia all about the villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, enjoy. So Renee and I talk a lot about the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I know technically isn't comic books, but I feel like if you read comic books, it gives you a slightly different perspective on these movies than if you are just a fan of the films. So today we're going to do a little mini-sode where we talk about specifically the MCU villains. Um, Renee, I don't know about you, but I always want to like the villains best. Um, yeah, I guess I, I think that a good villain makes the hero and really makes the story. So, I mean, if you don't have a good villain, what's your story? It's just a bunch of people doing nothing. You're so much more noble about it than me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to sound smart. I really it. You know, I I just relate to the villains more. I think that they're more interesting, and I really identify with their uh, unlikability. I guess, although they they do sometimes tend to be more likable, which we're going to talk about. I was going to say at first I was really worried. I was like, oh no, you relate to them more. Tia, is there is there a plot that you've got going? Well, that too. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which anyone who knows me will tell you a lot about. Yeah. I'm always worried that there's maybe a supervillain just right around the corner from me and I don't know it. But I do think, and I want to talk about this, we can get into this. I do think that there are some villains who, even though they're bad, they're like, 
there's reasons why they're bad that you I don't know like well we can get right into that I think that Loki and Bucky are good examples of Sebastian Stan once described the Winter Soldier as an antagonist not a villain which I think is a mm-hmm. great way of putting it maybe less so for Loki but uh, you know they're they're sort of circumstantial villains yeah yeah I sort of get that like it's um they're because they're evil or they're the bag they're going against the protagonist due to situations uh outside of their control at least in Bucky's case so he's like the bad guy but he's not trying to be bad no I mean he's literally been brainwashed the poor guy like he just wants a nap <laughs> uh so I actually have a really uh, I don't know, grad schooly sounding theory about why women particularly like Loki and Bucky so much. Do tell. So in in the Avengers, less so in th- in the first Thor movie. In the first Thor movie, like Loki just like straight up is a dick. There's really no way getting around that. He tries to kill all of his <laughs> friends like a lot and his brother. And there's just, you know, he is traumatized by like learning he's a frost giant or whatever and his dad doesn't love him. But like... He Yeah, anyway, but in the Avengers, it's very clear to me that he is possessed or somehow like his own will, free will is being overridden. Because if you look at the parallels between him and wh- when he is controlling Hawkeye, like not that I want to give Joss Whedon even a modicum of credit for being like clever or subtle, but it is there, <laughs> uh, you know, like cognitive recalibration and and like the way that his eyes glow and stuff like that like I really think that in Avengers I mean like Loki's a dick but I don't think he's a genocidal dick I mean that could also be tied into the fact that they're they're seen as gods and you know they've seen humanity die out before so what's one human life to them really because that's how like all the gods are in mythology unless they're the, the human has proved to be like worthy in battle and then they're like oh you know what you're worthy to take to Valhalla otherwise they're just kind of like ah, it's you know what's a human no but like but think about this so Loki tried to kill himself at the end of the first Thor movie right he just throws himself into the void so what happens between that and him getting in league with Thanos like probably some messed up stuff you know, Probably. and so he is traumatized. He's weak. He is he, he's really in a vulnerable place. And then he gets like in league with this really powerful Titan. I don't know. I just I think there's a lot of subtle things there that that show that Loki is not entirely controlling his own actions in yeah. the Avengers. And then after he gets like Hulk smashed, he he basically concedes to them. You know, so. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's an interesting thing to think about because it kind of reminds me of like sort of the way serial killers get apprentices type thing. Like it's a powerful, um, you know, person taking over someone who's vulnerable and then showing them their way of thinking. It sort of gives them their own power. I never thought of it that way, but that's kind of, or, or even just preying on their like vulnerabilities and their perceived lack of of power and autonomy. And that's where where I get to my theory. It's that women can relate to the fear of losing their bodily autonomy. Like that's a very real and present danger for women 
just walking down the street. And if you look at Loki and Bucky, like in Bucky's case, he literally had nothing to, like he just was a victim of this situation. And then mm-hmm. with Loki though, it's almost more like the kind of situation where you're like, "Oh, you were sort of asking for it cuz you know what I mean?" But like but then but then you would never say that to someone because that's messed up. Like no one's ever asking for it. So even though Loki was like a dick and uh you know, probably needs to like go to therapy with his family I have a hard time like blaming him for everything that happened in Avengers because to me it seems very evident that he is being controlled by Thanos in that movie I mean I I see that and I think that that the mind blown by the way just (laughs) uh, just blew my mind but also in in Thor I watch Thor a lot with my family like if we have no idea what to watch the first movie yeah it's a great movie I love it He's like, do you want to watch Thor? I'm like, yes. Kenneth Branagh knocked it out of the park with his direction and that style. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so, so good. good. But I watched Thor a lot and just even like, you know how you said he would look, he's a dick to his friends, but his friends are completely dicks to him. They are. They don't know all that stuff that's going on behind the scenes or whatever. And like, um, I think it's Volstagg that's like, what happened? Silver tongue turned to lead. <laughs> they're just, they're so mean to him without any context of the story and you're just kind of like what the hell like uh so it sort of seems like you know sort of they're thor's friends and little brothers just tagging along absolutely and then also like imagine being raised in this world where these these hideous monsters are literally just like the worst thing like let's hey for fun like let's go like fuck with these you know frost giants and then you are one like you literally are the thing that like your whole family hates and yeah, his his speech to odin oh in the, god the vault yes oh. see so i don't know i just if i have a hard time seeing loki as a villain in the same way that other characters who are like villains are like i loki is bad but i don't think that he has the same sort of evil that a like that Thanos has, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think that that's, he's, he wants power and respect, I think. And, uh, and he has to get it through these other means because it's not given to him. He just wants his family to love him. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the dark world, when he finds out that Frigga's killed, that is another scene that just breaks my heart. Like right up there with the vault scene with Odin, because like, it's clear that he had a, a, a closer relationship with with her. And I've seen some some interesting uh, sort of analysis around Tumblr mostly um, about how, you know, magic is, is typically a, a feminine power. And so that's another way that Loki is kind of feminized. Not only does he have this lack of this implied lack of bodily autonomy in Avengers, but he also, you know, his power is this kind of, is coded more feminine, you know, he's, and also just like his body type, like everything about him, like, especially compared to Thor, it's less masculine, less powerful in, in a sense of strength. And so I don't know, like, I, I, I realized that the Tom Hiddleston fangirls got really obnoxious there for a few years, but I think that, 
there's there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack about Loki as a as a villain or as an antagonist and why women lo- loved him. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the whole that he can also be gender fluid yeah. thing that's discussed in the comics and not in the movies and I wonder if they're going to eventually go into that. But I Who mean, would you cast as Lady Loki? That is a that is a tough question. Eva Green. Okay, discussion over then. <laughs> Marvel, <laughs> like I call was, me. <laughs> like I was thinking about it, and my first thought was Tilda Swinton because of her job in Constantine as a female version of the Archangel Gabriel. Right. But then you know she was uh, she was the in yeah. Doctor Strange, so I was like that can't be it, and then nothing else came to mind. But then you said Eva Green, and I was like done yeah that would be yeah, good per- i would love that perfect casting so in the angela or uh, 10th realm it's original sin mini there's a great scene where odin is talking about how he loves his son thor and he loves his daughter angela and he loves his child loki who is like both you know son and daughter and i just thought like god can they please put that in the movies to like have you know or because like in the comics you know odin Odin is a dick, like always, oh, but yeah. in the comics, I feel like he's a little more nuanced and they they just, I don't know, he tries a little harder than in the movies where he, like, Odin is just a straight up dick. All right, so we've talked a little about Loki and Bucky who, you know, are kind of make a spectrum of, of a separate type of villain in the MCU. And they're also, you know, they're in multiple films. They have a, st- a stronger kind of character arc that's built up we we talked about dr strange when we mentioned tilda swinton and part of i think what brought this topic about is that we were talking about how Cassilius and ronan the accuser from guardians of the galaxy shop at the same sephora and basically are the same person yeah yeah i think that was the the consensus that they are sort of in the movie but we don't ever really feel that they're present i guess is the term i mean they just don't have any personality at all they they their motivations are the exact same they're like religious zealots or whatever and you know I understand using those kind of tropes uh, as a shorthand when you don't have a lot of time to develop a character like if you say religious zealot that means enough to people presumably that they can fill in the gaps for that character but I just I don't think that it really ultimately does enough to make them a worthwhile character to be interested in. Yeah, I mean, there's also a lack of, of character development in that with because most of the time religious zealots have reasons for their strong connection to their faith. like, And they sort of hint at it for both times in those films. Like Cassilius lost his entire family and then he turned towards um you know the ancient one and all their teachings and then he found dormammu and was like oh there's a world that erases my pain but it's like talked about like in five minutes and i think with ronan it was that like for a long time the kree and their religion went against you know being with xandar and then for his country just to sign a treaty but again that's brushed over really quick and you're just like oh he's a crazy person and there's no actual depth given to those stories. And I feel like Marvel just tried to cover that up by hiring really good actors to portray those villains and hoping that it would just bring out a strong performance that the audience would just be like, yeah, good, great. 
Yeah. And I also think that, you know, if you really get down into it, they aren't that different from the from the heroes in those stories. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is about a bunch of misfits like trying to come together, you know, and that's an interesting opposition to Ronan's point of view of like, you know, purity and isolationism and, and all of that. It's like you got this like trash panda and some like big green uh, gray, I don't know, whatever color you want to call him, like a uh, wrestler guide. You have Gamora who was kind of a villain and you've got this like, you know, dumb, funny g- guy like they're just they're such different types of people coming together which and that is such an interesting opposition to Ronan and then Doctor Strange who you know like is also trying to work through pain that's such a different different uh he he has he has a different sort of like outlook on the world obviously but he's not that different from Cassilius and they just don't develop those parallels in any way yeah, especially when Cassilius, like, you know, meets with Doctor Strange and he's like, oh, so you're a man of science. You'll understand this. Yeah. And it just did this. They kind of roadblocked it and they didn't really see them sort of getting into a discussion at all about it because they're like, okay, we can't have a discussion. There needs to be fighting or something. We got to move this story along. And what a waste of Mass Milkison as an actor. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. And I mean, also Lee Pace. Lee Pace, like, he's just too pretty to bury under blue makeup and, like, 10 pounds of pleather. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I didn't even realize that Lee Pace was... Um, I didn't even realize that's who it was. And then, like, I was watching The Hobbit, and then I was... His voice. Like, was, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think if they ever do anything with... Dritzdo Erden from like the Dark Elf trilogy or something like that. Uh, I don't know if you've read any of R.A. Salvatore's books. If they do anything with the character Dristo Erden in film, Lee Pace needs to play him because just perfect. It would be perfect. Um, I'm trying to, th- you know, something that bothers me about I, what they're trying to do with the Infinity Stones and Thanos is like, so one of our complaints, it sounds like, is that you've got these one-off villains. They're not that developed. And part of the reason is there's not time in a single film to develop them, only to discard them at the end, which is what happens. Thanos is the thread that connects them all. And I just like wish that they used Thanos as a more present villain because, you know... Like, for example, going back to the Avengers, there's the other who's kind of like Thanos's right hand for a while. And, you know, like he could be the one off villain that you throw away. But Thanos is still a real presence. Like, I wish they would put him in the movies more. Yeah, no, I agree. It it sort of makes it seem like when they do like when they just throw away the villain, it always just kind of bothers me. And I kind of just want there to be this overlooming present you know, sort of dread that's always there. Cause I mean that that's present in comic books that, you know, like they, they beat the villain, but there's probably going to be a next time. And I think, I feel like that's always troubling and worrisome, but I just don't feel that in the movies. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. So, and so Thanos is the like cosmic villain and then Hydra is sort of the earthly villain. Uh, and, and, because of the television shows and the format, they have more time to do things with Hydra. 
I think. And um, I mean, The Winter Soldier was just such a good movie anyway. Yeah. You know, so maybe the Russo brothers will do a better job with villains once we get into the Infinity Wars stuff. I don't know. What do you think? I... I, I wonder how they're going to present Thanos, and I, I, have, there's, I just have so many questions. But I'm really prepared for them to give Thanos just this... Uh, I, I, I'm torn between wanting them to develop him, or if he's just this gigantic giant that overshadows and is just unfathomably strong. Like, to the point where it's just, we can't even begin to understand this character. It would be such character. a waste. I mean, there's... There's such an interesting aspect to Thanos. What does he want all of this power for? There's always a reason, you know? Right. And I would love if they went with the uh, being in love with death thing. That would be interesting. Especially since they had at the end of Avengers the whole uh, courting death thing and he smiled. Yeah. I, I I want that. And okay, so I mean, is is Death friends with Hella? Like did they go out for Cosmos and talk shit about these dudes? <laughs> I would love that. Could we talk yeah. about well, how awesome Hella is going to be? Yeah. I have a question though. Why is it always Cosmos? Like why why just specifically? Well, I was going for the pun, but also gotcha. like I think that's a Sex in the City thing. I don't know. I never watched Sex in the City. Okay, just this, this consistently Cosmo. So I was just like, are they that good? I don't. I don't like alcohol, so I don't. I'm never gonna order a Cosmo to find out because I think all of it tastes gross. I don't know what they are. I think they're like cranberry juice and vodka and something else. They're pink. <laughs> Either way, the visual of Hella and Death with Cosmos talking while shit. The world, yeah, while the world burns behind them, they're just like so. Talking shit about men that they are involved with. All right, so yeah. like I would read that right. actually. I would see that. That would be amazing. I I know this will never happen, but in the comics, it like Hela is the adult version of Leah of Hell, who's Loki's like BFF when they're kids, and in Young Avengers. And so, like, my dearest hope is that that means that we're going to get Young Avengers. Oh my gosh. I would absolutely love a Young Avengers, especially since they're doing New Mutants as a movie. And Runaways. Yes. Just in terms of like, they they seem to be getting that this, this is like a demographic they should use. That would be awesome. So who is your favorite MCU villain and what makes them stand out for you? Um, my favorite MCU villain and this is going to sound really, really like bad, but my favorite MCU villain of all time is Michael Clark Duncan's Kingpin from the original Daredevil movie. And Does that count as the MCU even? Probably not, but the thing is, I feel like it's utterly remiss to leave him out. Like, If anything is to be remembered of that movie, it's that Michael Clark Duncan got to be Kingpin. And that's the same, re- that's the same reason I put for the Green Lantern movie with... Um, Uh, Ryan Reynolds like that movie is garbage but Michael Clark Duncan got to be Kilowog and I think we all needed that at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna say that does not count because that's not the MCU but if you had to cast him in the MCU as a villain in something coming up who would you cast him as 
Ooh, ooh. That's a tough one because the thing is, is that I really wanted him as as he was such a good kingpin, and he's so fantastic. He's a big guy, so I I would have him. You know what? I would probably voice him as Surtur. Or oh, that would be awesome, that. though. Yeah, yeah, and I know he's. <laughs> from the looks of it, he's going to be in Thor Ragnarok, so they probably already have a voice for it. But I think that that would have been the perfect one. Either that, or have him be like a, just some kind of Thor villain, just because he's got he's got that he had that big booming voice and that strength that you just recognize immediately. And that would just strike fear in anyone, so, or like, ooh, at least intimidation. Well, okay, so in Journey and a Mystery, Searcher's like bad and round and like doing stuff. So they could maybe do a Journey and a Mystery lead into Young Avengers, cast him as the villain, and make all of us happy. Well, they can't cast him because he's dead. But you know, is he dead? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, he had he had a heart attack a couple of years ago and passed away, which makes me very sad. Um, could they CGI him? Like his his voice or his face? I don't understand. <laughs> <Can they> do <laughs> well, yeah, they could uh, they could just do a, like a whole. Um, like okay. they, they could do him. They wouldn't have to like put him in a costume, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess I got. Well, I guess if we if we take Michael Clark Duncan out of the situation, I guess my favorite MCU villain would have to be. Loki, then I guess Loki or, or or Hydra, just as as a whole. Yeah, but, I mean. Um, but what about you? What about you? I feel like you were gonna say Loki, though. I mean, but I have such a hard time casting Loki as a villain, honestly, because of reasons that we talked about. Uh, I really think that Hela, like I haven't even seen this movie yet, but just based on the trailer, is like you literally cannot be cooler than Hela. Yeah, I think casting. Kate Blanchett as Hella was perfect casting choice too. She's just so evil. Yeah, like even even when she was Galadriel, I didn't fully trust her because there was something so eerie about her it's that I was true. like, is she a villain? She's what? yeah, she has a kind of otherworldly face. It's just like there's something about her face and her voice and her presence that makes you feel like you are not important to her. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's I think that's exactly it. And real, like, so in the comics, I mean, Hela, again, she's not a villain so much as she just has a really specific job to do that, you know, like, doesn't make her very popular. Yeah, it's kind of like that same thing with um, Hades in in mythology and uh, I guess technically in the comics, too, because Hercules is in the, is in Marvel Comics, so I guess oh, I don't... Oh, gosh, who would we cast as Hercules? <sighs> oh... So many pretty choices. Not, I don't think, not Dwayne Johnson, not The Rock, because, I mean, he already played Hercules. And while that movie's fun in its own right, I don't know if I would want to see Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson (laughs) as Hercules again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, but he's not a villain. He's precious because sweet boy. (laughs) Yeah, he is. He is, he's, yeah. Who would... Who would you cast as Hercules? I'm just curious now since we're on the topic. God, I mean, I would really have to think about that one. I don't know. I kind of would want an unknown. Yeah. Maybe like an actual like Greek actor. Oh, that would be funny. Are there any Greek actors? Probably. I mean, it's a whole country. They probably have their own industry, assumedly. I mean, I don't... I... I maybe. Maybe. 
Anyway, <laughs> uh, but he would. Yeah, he's not a villain. Although I, I, yeah, I think that um, in terms of my my favorite villain, probably Pierce from Winter Soldier. Oh, no, that's a great one. Yeah, you know, he just is such a. He's just such a fuckface. Like there's that's he just is. Yeah, no, I get that. And Robert Redford really just, he nailed that. You don't trust him at all, despite the fact that he comes off as such a nice guy for like 15 minutes, like just later, you don't. He's a user. He's a politician. He just like has no conscience, has no soul. He has no humanity, the way that he treats people, the way, you know, and, and like anyone who like starts talking about greater good, I'm like, fuck you. The greater good. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'd have to change my answer because I completely forgot about this. I forgot that Spider Man is in the MCU now, which I don't know how I forgot. But I would have to. I I'm changing my answer to the I don't know to the Vulture from Spider Man Homecoming. Oh, I haven't because, seen that one yet. Oh, it's so good. Michael Keaton. Michael is Keaton. Fantastic. Right. Yeah. I... See, the Keats. I just don't care about Spider-Man, like, at all. What? I just don't care about him. Why? He's just, like, such a boring white guy, and I'm just bored of them. Ah, uh, I, like, I get that. I get, I understand. <laughs> I also don't uh, care about Iron Man, like, at all. Oh, I don't, I don't give two shits about <laughs> He's a he's a rich white guy. I don't like those at all. Yeah. <laughs> screw screw Iron Man, but I love I love Spider Man, and maybe it's because in the original comics, like his, <laughs> and now he's always struggling with being poor and being a superhero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And I so know. I like I, I like that, and but I also I'm I'm trying so hard not to fly off the handle because Spider Man's like my favorite and like. I could let's just say like a thousand reasons, but like, but I get that. Not everyone loves Spider-Man and that's, that's fine. Every comic book guy who's ever been a dick to me loves Spider-Man and is like, and I think that I just have this like contrary fuck you Spider-Man because I associate him with these like, you know, gatekeeper guys. You know, that's, I respect that. (laughs) Fuck you (laughs) Spider-Man. But I would like to see Michael Keaton, as a villain, does do they give him anything more than they gave Ronan or Cassilius or you know who like I love it. before the episode we started talking we literally couldn't even remember the movie Cassilius was in we were just we're like these are such throwaway characters <laughs> yeah no with in Spider Man Homecoming the Vulture they spend a lot of time getting you to understand where he's coming from and just sort of like what his purpose is what his drive is. And so they spend a lot, they spend a decent amount of time explaining why the vulture is doing what he's doing. And they also changed it from the comic book. Which See, is fantastic. I understand why they have to do that. But like, I was just thinking about Malekith, right? In the dark world, another like super boring, overly made up one dimensional villain. Malekith in the comics is fucking awesome he is like sass master extraordinaire hilarious like flamboyant awesome character and i just don't get why they 
discard everything good about the villains from the comics and just give us these like cardboard cutouts in the movies. I think it's I think it's because they're they're throwaways. Although in in Spider-Man Homecoming, they don't do that. And they actually by changing him from his comics because in the comics the vulture is kind of like, you know, one-dimensional. He's a rich guy that doesn't want to die. Oh, and in this they give him a purpose and a reason and it's really really done and Michael Keaton blows it out of the water. I would say watch Spider-Man Homecoming purely for the Vulture and Michael Keaton. and But it's a pretty enjoyable movie as well, just in overall. <laughs> Fine. I was like, 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 you don't have to, but I'm like, there's, it's a good movie and there, there's, there's good reasons. I, I don't, I don't want these years of, of dickish dudes to ruin Spider-Man for you, Tia, because like, I mean, he wants to love you. I know. In a non-weird way. I know. Like, I mean, he was cute in... I almost said Avengers 2, but it was Civil War, but really it was Avengers 2. <laughs> it might as well have been. <laughs> Let's just forget Ultron happened. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, I do. You want to know who the villain is in Age of Ultron? It's Joss Joss Whedon. Whedon. <laughs> Boom. Oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say right here, right now, I don't like Firefly. Suck it. Suck it, Firefly. Firefly, Whedon, all of it. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, um, the pr- for me, I just rewrote Age of Ultron in my head, like, entirely, and that's really just the only way I can cope with that movie. I say, if you ever put it down on paper, I'd love to read it. <laughs> well, so there's a great headcanon going around Tumblr where Hawkeye's secret family is actually like his sister and his niece and nephew, which fixes that problem like very nicely. Hawkeye doesn't have a wife. Give me a break. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, wait, what problem? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Anyway, just just no. Clint Barton doesn't have it together enough to have a wife and kids. No, he really doesn't. Much less fix the kitchen. What else is a problem that I have fixed in Age of Ultron? I mean, well, Scarlet Witch and that. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. Just that whole movie is an exasperated sigh. Yeah, it really is. I don't even. I don't even have t- like. By the time I get to the problems with Black Widow, I'm already dead from exhaustion. Yeah, that is so Age of Ultron, just that movie is the ultimate villain of the MCU. It's true. It really is. (laughs) Oh, God. But then again, another wasted, amazing actor. Yeah. Yeah. James Spader. How the hell are you going to waste James Spader? (sighs) It's like... You know, when they get it right, I, they get it right because there's like an army of people who would fight you for Loki and Bucky. And I suspect that Hela's going to have a pretty big fan base just by virtue of her aesthetic alone. But um, yeah. it's just such a waste. And I think that there is at the root of it a sort of disconnect where the, these filmmakers don't understand what they're what a portion of their fan base likes about that character, about that character type, you know, like 
we're using this very traditional dichotomy of good and bad where like you are supposed to identify with the good guy. So we pay atten- the most attention to the good guy. But I think that audiences, um, in particular, audiences of people who they're not Peter Parker, they're not Iron Man, they're not Captain America, you know, like they have felt marginalized by the way that these characters are always portrayed. And so they find other ways into identifying with characters in these stories and they often find themselves identifying with the villains and it just does such a disservice to to use cardboard cutouts yeah no i 100 percent agree they're sort of like treating every like movie like it's still he-man versus skeletor in like 1982 <laughs> and it's like it's it's not it's not oh, it's but not that cut and dry anymore skeletor does have a good outfit <laughs> yeah i was was watching a commercial and the like skeletor was talking my brother's like is that actually skeletor's voice i was like yeah yeah it is which i can't with based on his outfit you think he'd have a more you know grisly voice instead of i'm skeletor <laughs> somebody needs to make that a ringtone what just i'm skeletor <laughs> but, yeah <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, so we haven't actually talked about one of my other favorite villains who is in the movies for like five seconds, which is Crossbones. And I heard he was coming back. How can he come back? He did. (laughs) Listen, that's just a minor inconvenience in the Marvel universe. (laughs) He blew up. He like really did. Like, don't get me wrong. I would love to see Crossbones come back and then like also have Bucky Cap and Crossbones fight. I would love that. That would I'm all about that. But how how is Crossbones back? Look, it's happened before, and he made it through. I'm just saying. That's true. If a building falls on you and you can come back, I don't guess. What are what are bombs? I don't even remember where I heard that. Maybe I'm just wishing. Who knows? I mean, keep tossing coins because like if you're gonna have a villain that's super one dimensional, you need to lean into that. Yeah, I kind of wonder if. If they, especially if they do bring back Crossbones, I wonder if they'll um, add in Red Skull's daughter, Sin. Yeah, that would be cool. Oh, I like that. I, I would love to have her in the the MCU. I would be all about that because she's such a great character. Marvel, call us. We have ideas. For real. That would be good. I mean, Red Skull was a comically sort of cartoonish villain but in a way it worked in the same way that I think Crossbones like sort of worked which is that like if you're gonna be like a cartoon villain then be a cartoon villain don't give me like half of a tragic dead family backstory because yeah I'm like just go all the way yeah like I'm not gonna care if you just like throw that out there and then never do anything with it yeah you don't just wade into the cool water whole head underneath let's just do it dive right in yeah yeah, I honestly, I would be okay with them bringing back the Red Skull as well, but I think that they would have to get a different actor for it, since Hugo Weaving said he'd never do it again. <laughs> Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah, no, he said that after the first movie, he was like, no, I'm, he's like, he's like, I was a, had a terrible experience, I'll never do it again. And so my suggestion is, get Christoph Waltz, if he would be willing to play a, you know, a Nazi, but you know, he already did that, so mm, why not? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I do think that that is trickier now in the world that we live in compared to the world that we lived in when the first Avenger came out. And I would hope that 
mm, the people who make Marvel movies are more sensitive to that than the people who make the Marvel comics. True. But I mean, also, uh, if it was modern day and the Red Skull was in modern day, he wouldn't be, you know, doing Nazi propaganda. Wouldn't he, though? Or whatever. Well, like, he talks about it, but most of the time, the Red Skull had used what Hitler gave him to project his own beliefs and his own desires to conquer the world, kind of like he did in First Avenger. Like, he moved away from the Nazi party because he's like, we cannot be in Hitler's shadow. So, I mean, he could still be about conquering the world but not like he would be like you know the nazis and all that stuff that was just who was there who gave me power now i can get power through other ways i don't need to be a nazi yes i'm still german but you know germans aren't exclusively nazis i mean or not, nazis aren't exclusively german anymore i guess now yeah he could be an alt-right shithead or something yeah i mean he wouldn't even have to do that because he didn't follow into hitler's super race thing oh my god maybe that's what's wrong with steve bannon's face (laughs) it's a mask for the red skull (laughs) (laughs) oh my god do we live in the mcu (laughs) it's all real Renee. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, oh shit. I think we should end there. <gasps> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> cool. Oh my god. Oh my god. That was that was fucking brilliant. Oh my god. Keep oh. keep an eye out for the infinity stones, kids. Oh my god. Oh, Tia, I'm crying. That was good. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that should be our ending. That wraps another episode of I Read Comic Books. Thank you for listening. You can follow everyone on the show this week on Twitter. You can follow Brian at Brian Head. You can follow Kate at Kate Scotchless. Tia at Portrait of Madam X, the fancy French way. You can follow Renee at RedRieger29. And you can follow me at Mike Rappin. The show is also on Twitter at IRCB Podcast, where I'm posting things all the time on the internet about comic books, as well as polls every Sunday. This week, our poll was what was the best free comic book day book and we picked all winners, so it's going to be tough. You can also check out the Goodreads group where we have weekly threads and the book of the month votes and nominations. This week's thread was actually about what we were supposed to talk about. What is your favorite incarnation of the X-Men? You can also check out our website, ircbpodcast.com, where we have our pronunciation guide, all of our episodes, as well as merch, t-shirts, pins, stickers, go buy one. You can email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. Send us your vegan chili recipes. We want to know. Paul is excited. Infinity Shred does all the music for this show. They are the absolute best band in the universe. Xander is a golden ball of energy who graces our presence once a week to edit this show and then flies back to the sky. Like I said, he edits the show. Until next time, thank you so much for listening, and I just want you to read more comics.